Welcome to the Citizens NYC Couples and Conversations podcast. For the next few months, we will be honoring five extraordinary women from NYC and highlighting our network of grantee partners who have committed to rolling up their sleeves to help the city recover from the pandemic. This storytelling series is a part of our new innovative fundraising initiative entitled The New Yorkers for New York Campaign, which was founded by citizens during COVID to help raise funds this year in order to continue to make microgrants possible for the New York community. In this episode, we're sitting down with Susan R. Coleman, who is an active board member of the Citizens Committee and who has dedicated 17 years of service to the organization. She is an activist whose family established roots in NYC centuries ago and also serves as a board member or a former board member of several NYC nonprofits, including the New York Women's Foundation, the New York Landmarks Commission, Mount Sinai Health System, and many others. Joining her for this combo, we have our CEO, Rasan Harris, and Rebecca Cohen, a friend of Citizens NYC and NYC Influencer. Cheers to good conversation. I'm Dr. Rasan Harris, CEO of Citizens Committee for New York City. We are in couples in conversation, and uh, we have creative license to bring coupling together that we defined. And I'm very excited to have a couple of women who I admire to represent New York City, represent just the best of what we can be when we show up as our true authentic selves. And I had the opportunity of introducing them to each other, and I wanted you to hear them talking to you. So Rebecca, can you introduce yourself? Sure, I'd love to. So I was born in Hawaii, grew up in Florida, then went to high school in Connecticut, college in Philadelphia, lived in DC for a year after college, then went to law school in LA, spent some time in Europe throughout all this as well. And this is all kind of a long way of saying that I always kind of knew that I would end up in New York and I was never quite ready for it until I had tried out all these other places first. And I waited until I had graduated from law school and actually had a job and sort of what I felt was enough income to do it. Um, and then I moved to New York for the first time in around 2006 to 2007. And now I've been here ever since. And it's probably a place that I've lived consistently longer than anywhere else in my life at this point. But, you know, when I think of, you know, am I a New Yorker, given that I've lived in so many other places, I don't feel always that I am. But, you know, I guess like many New Yorkers, I, I come with, with my background and my history. And there's a reason that I'm here now um, and plan to be here for the long run. I think that's amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to introduce you to Susan, who I will allow to introduce herself. Uh, But I'd like to do a tiny introduction. Susan is one of my many bosses on the board of Citizens Committee for New York City. And I have the pleasure of, you know, working for New York City and having her guidance and her energy that guides the way. Rebecca, you spoke about, you know, what's being a New Yorker. I think New York is an idea that a lot of folks carry in their hearts. And everyone can be a New Yorker if they buy into the idea of New York and abide by this desire to try to be in a super duper diverse and eclectic space, but trying to find their own little piece of it. But knowing Susan's family has been in New York City for centuries. And I think introducing her to you and to our audience would be a wonderful thing because 
I see this as a wide-ranging conversation of New Yorkers that are born here and families been here for centuries for um, connected to New Yorkers that are made because they knew this was the idea of what they wanted to do. And we are also honoring Susan Coleman as one of our New Yorkers from New York and just honoring everything that she's done and her family in New York City. And I just like the fact that you both are such interesting people to get to know each other. And as we're honoring her, I wanted to have her also have an opportunity to have a great conversation with a new friend. So I will step back, let Susan introduce herself, and then let the two of you get into a great conversation. Well, Rasan, I want to thank you, uh, number one, for your incredible leadership at Citizens. Thinking about when you arrived there, you haven't met most of the board members because COVID hit just as you were coming in. And yet you've become a fixture at Citizens with your leadership skills and your creativity, and you are really a something. So I'm grateful that we found you, even though I haven't yet met you, really. Can't wait to really see you in person. Um, you've introduced me to a lot of very interesting people and, and happenings, and one of them happens to be Rebecca. So I'm delighted that we have the opportunity to work together or talk together today. I don't know what a New Yorker is. I am a New Yorker in that I've been, I was born and raised here. I went to school here. I think I left for boarding school and then for college and came back to New York and then had a 20-year hiatus when I went down to Washington, D.C., which is also a very interesting city, but then came back here to New York. And I think a really interesting observation about the two cities, both of them are wonderful cities to live in and to raise children in. I raised my daughter in Washington. But my observation was that people came to Washington and were wearing their backgrounds on their sleeves in the sense that they did not want to be Washington. They wanted to stay Texas or stay California or stay North Dakota. They And they wanted to tell you all about where they were from. They were very proud of that, and that's that's they were coming to represent their areas. And I learned a lot about the United States by living in Washington, D.C. In contrast, people who come to New York want to be New Yorkers. They can't wait to assimilate and be part of the what they see as the energy and the successes of New York. And so it's an entirely different uh, uh, atmosphere in New York. People are dying to eat at the delis and go to theater and participate in the museum cultures and and meet people and go to the bars and be a part of New York. And New York is, uh, in my opinion, there's only one place like New York, and it is because it's made up of so many different neighborhoods of people coming in, melting together, trying to work together to make a better life for themselves and their family, and enjoy themselves at the same time. So I really think New York is amazing, and um I think it's coming back, by the way. We've had a year of disaster. It looks awful walking down the streets now, even though there are more people, the stores are closed, the traffic is different, everything is different. But I think as soon as we open up some of the theater and the museums start to be populated and restaurants are able to open, people are going to come come back. So I don't know, <laughs> but that's what I think. What do you think, Rebecca? Well, I, I want to pick up on, on the point that you made about assimilation because 
Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with what you said about people can often leave their, kind of shed their backgrounds and come to New York and whether, you know, if they came from Nebraska or California or, or somewhere else, they, they get to New York and are ready to, to be New Yorkers. And yet there really is no single, single idea of a New Yorker. And thinking to my own experience, I've had three completely different New York lives. When I was very young um, and in college and, and grad school and, and a recent grad, I never went north of 23rd Street. And I often stayed out until the sun was rising. Then when I started working, I, I actually moved to 24th Street and was always between 24th Street and Midtown um, and never really went much south or, or north of there. And I went to work a little late and uh, in the morning and stayed at work very, very late and almost uh, never <laughs> didn't see much of the sun uh, from my office. And then once I had children and moved uptown, I found you know, experiencing the park and a part of the city that I had almost never been in. And once, once I moved uptown, I now almost never go south of Midtown, very, very rarely. And what New York is to me now and taking kids to parks and crossing from the east side to west side, it's a New York experience that really I had never had. And now I'm up at the crack of dawn and now I come home when the sun is setting, which is when I, you know, when I was much younger, that's when I used to leave, leave the apartment and go out. So it's really completely different experiences that almost don't cross one another. And that's just in my own life. I'd be curious for you how your idea of New York has changed throughout your life and what are some of your fondest memories from when you were young and from now? That's a really interesting question because it takes off on what you were just uh, talking about. And, and growing up, my New York was prescribed. It was uh, Upper East Side and Midtown. That's all I knew about New York. It was a big adventure to go to the Bowery or to go down to Wall Street. Big, big trip. Never mind Brooklyn or Staten Island. I think I was in my young 20s before I ever got to Staten Island. So uh, New York was small for me relative to the size of New York today. And then over the years, Manhattan has changed, the whole where people live in Manhattan, how people go out to dinner in Manhattan, how people get around in Manhattan. And the boroughs have become very much a part of the whole city. They're not, it's not as separated as it used to be. And uh, I do remember when I came back from 20 years in Washington, my fellow board member, Tom Israel, said, you've got to get to know New York now because it's really different. And the best way to get to know it is through its neighborhoods. And please join us on the Citizens Committee. And thanks to the Citizens Committee, I really have gotten to know a lot more about New York because people tend to live in their communities. And that's not unusual in their neighborhoods. But you have to work a little harder to get outside your neighborhoods. I do think, though, that people who come from, whether it's foreigners who come here or people from the United States, they're all trying to blend. They want, they're happy with their cultures that they're bringing in, but they want to be a New Yorker. What does that mean? That means they do want to go to the delis and they do want to go to the museums. I mean, when I was little, you could, you could hear a pin drop in a museum because there were only a few people there. 
And now you look at the museums, they're crowded, they're packed. I mean, not during COVID, but pre-COVID, packed with people happy to learn the cultures from all over the world, whether it's the Metropolitan Museum of Art or whether it's the Frick or whatever. So I think New York is just an ever-evolving place. And that's what's exciting about it. What is a New Yorker? A New Yorker is somebody who's on their way going somewhere. I learned that there is something called a New York Minute. I never heard of it before. One of my friends in Washington said, you, you do everything in a New York Minute. And I said, what is that? That basically is on fast. Everything's on. You know, people in New York walk faster. They, they want their check to come faster when they're paying for something. They, it's not that they're nasty about it. It's just the way they don't want to waste time. That's part of New York. So uh, it's very interesting. I, I often tell the story of my mother coming to visit me in Washington and taking me to the movies. She always loved to pay for me no matter what age I was. It made her feel good that she could treat me. So we'd get to the movie theater and she'd buy the tickets for myself and my daughter at the time or whatever. And the ticket lady would say to my mom, thank you. And my mother was shocked that a ticket person who received money for something, a transaction, thanked her. She said, this is a very interesting city because it's different from the way we do it in New York. You can hear the ticket person say, next, <laughs> because there's a line. Anyway, I think New York is a terribly exciting uh, place, and it certainly has shaped my my life from my parents and grandparents and parents go the way back. So uh, that's part of it. And then welcome to New York. You are a New Yorker now, clearly. You've lived in different. You've done more in New York than I have. You lived in different areas. I when I came back to, from Washington, I went right back to the Upper East Side. Boring, right? <laughs> I I think I probably realized a few years ago that I had become a New Yorker when it's always when you leave the city and it, it seems like other stuff is happening so slowly, whether it's waiting for a coffee or a restaurant and you just, you wonder why things aren't faster as well as that feeling, which is now I, I haven't felt it in a while because I haven't flown in over a year, but that feeling of, of coming back to the city from the airport where you see all the buildings rising and that first feeling of being, of feeling, oh, okay, I'm, I'm back home again. Um, and that, you know, when I had been a visitor to New York, I would see those buildings and feel a little bit nervous and intimidated. And now when I travel or when I did travel most recently, you know, it's that feeling of seeing the buildings and knowing that I'm coming back home. That's um, interesting. I, I love, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say growing up in New York, I assumed every city was like New York. I mean, what does a kid know? The kid knows that this is where you grew up, and so isn't the world just like what you know? So as I started to travel a little bit, I'd go to other cities, and I'd look around and say, where's the city? <laughs> or <clears throat> I remember my first trip to Washington with my family, you know, pilgrimage to go to see the White House and the Capitol, and there were no tall buildings. Is this a city? was my comment, you know, because everything is horizontal. Washington, you can't be have a building taller than the Capitol. Uh, so it, and the streets are empty because everybody drives. No, but it's not a walking city. And I took for granted things that, like, you know, there's a drugstore around the corner. I just have to go down and out of toothpaste. I can go down, go get toothpaste. Very simple. I don't have to get a car. I don't have to do anything. So New York is definitely unique in my experience, just different from so many other cities. 
Yeah, I, I think it has more parallels to European cities in that sense, in terms of being walking cities, right? In, in many European cities, people don't have cars. You have to walk, you take public transportation, even taking taxis isn't, isn't as common. And I think that's why I tried out other cities. LA certainly is not a walking city um, yeah. and kind of knew, knew I would want to end up back in a city. My one requirement for college was to be in a city where I could easily just hop in a cab somewhere. And I ended up in Philadelphia. I just wasn't quite ready for New York yet. And that's one of the things I love. But it's, you know, you mentioned being able to, to run to the, the drugstore, the deli, and I think that might be an interesting segue into the changes or, you know, temporary changes or potentially permanent changes taking place now with COVID because it is a city with a Dwayne Reed on almost every corner, but actually on the Upper West Side, when COVID hit, the Dwayne Reed was one of the first things to close, which was kind of very bizarre, right? You think of it as this commercial chain, that that would be one of the last things standing. And, you know, I would be curious to hear your perspective, you know, with a family with such deep roots in New York and and a long association with significant New York institutions. I'd love to hear about those institutions and about, you know, your views on the durability of New York. With, With a history with those institutions, you are probably have particular awareness as to their ability to endure through pandemics and wars, right? So this isn't the first thing like this is, that has happened, um, but I, I'd love to hear your take on that. Uh, well, I, you know, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I think that many of us have seen that one can work not always in the office. A lot of businesses have done okay doing remote working, and I don't know how that's going to affect the office commercial real estate in New York, which is terribly important. You think about the amount of office space that exists and all those workers who generally come to work every day and they go downstairs and they have the cup of coffee and they buy the extra, they forgot to, you know, whatever they need at home en route. I think we have to wait to see a little bit of that, but I think uh, what's been missing and what will come back is there's only one Broadway. The arts in New York are pretty special. Uh, There isn't just one museum, there are lots of museums. And it wasn't just the Metropolitan Museum of Art that was crowded pre-COVID. All of the museums were crowded. And galleries were crowded because this was Art Central as well. We have to see how the arts do. I think they are really the heartbeat, one of the heartbeats of the city that uh, will make or break us if, if the arts stutter, and uh, that's a problem, then I think New York has a problem. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to come back boldly. And people are dying for live entertainment, And I think. And along with that will come the restaurants. So you have to think about layering how these things uh, will start to come alive again. The bigger institutions, you know, the, the private schools, the public schools, uh, they far as I can tell, they still have lots of students going to those schools, even though some people have left the city. And some of those will be gone permanently, but they'll be filled with others coming in from other places, I think, as long as the businesses are are able to keep up. And as you know, one of the institutions that uh, is near and dear to me is Mount Sinai Hospital. 
and the Mount Sinai Hospital systems. And for better or for worse, they are unfortunately still busy and still busy with COVID. Uh, in spite of the fact that things are doing better, they still have a very strong COVID population and ICU population. Uh, they're hoping and expecting that that will do better because they cannot thrive by just working with COVID patients. They have to, as a hospital system, they need to go back to the back surgeries and the, the, the leg issues and cancer treatments. And all of these have to come back for the hospitals to work. But I, I don't think COVID is long-term harmful to institutions like these hospitals. So I really, I really think we're going to be okay. It's not going to be right away, but it's going to start to happen. You know. As a um, newcomer to New York, not that new, do you know the history of Mount Sinai at all? Not in great detail. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Okay. Well, I'm very proud to be a part of Mount Sinai because of its mission, and its mission really is to serve the population where it sits, where it lives. And its population, the original hospital is the one on 101st Street, and Madison goes between Madison and 5th. And it's situated in a very interesting, typical New York, if you will. To the south is uh, Park Avenue and 5th Avenue, and rather wealthy clientele. And they become, obviously, the um, private patients, so to speak, private insurance patients. And to the north is Harlem. And they are the Medicaid patients and Medicare patients. And uh, when Mount Sinai was situated there, it was situated really to serve both communities. And if you go back even further as to its roots, its roots were that you had uh, Jewish doctors who were not allowed to practice in hospitals. And you had Jewish patients who weren't accepted as patients in hospitals. So the original group that got together, which I'm happy to say includes some family members of mine, said, uh, this is not healthy. So they formed uh, the Mount Sinai Hospital. Actually, it was called the Hospital for the Jews. <laughs> Very difficult name today. I, I, it's hard for me to say. It just seems so strange. But they did that because that was the only place that uh, Jewish doctors and Jewish patients could actually work together in a hospital setting. So all these years later, I've been very pleased to be a part of that operation. And now today it's got uh, six different hospitals across uh, the boroughs and uh, into uh, Long Island as well. And um, the work that I like to do with Mount Sinai is work on patient experience and what it's like to really be a patient there. It's an ever-evolving problem because, again, our clientele is a combination of people from different backgrounds, and our staff is also uh, from different backgrounds. And that sometimes works beautifully and sometimes is very complicated. So uh, it's it's been a very interesting journey to be able to participate as a board member at Mount Sinai. Well, my, my experience with Mount Sinai is that I gave birth to all three of my daughters there. <laughs> wow. Uh, Wow, we like um, to hear that. And hopefully that means you'd like to be a Mount Sinai patient forever and ever, whatever your needs are. <laughs> no, but I I won't forget. I mean, it's, you know, I don't live in an apartment that has views of the park, but the hospital rooms facing the park, I'll always kind of remember holding a brand new, fresh newborn and, and looking out the window. All of my children were born in the spring. So holding the baby and looking out the window as 
people were running around in, in Central Park in the spring, and um, it that evokes evokes really nice memories for me. Good, good. I I was born there, and my daughter was born there, and my granddaughter was born there. <laughs> so. There's something about when you when you give birth there, some tie that takes place. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now it's fun is when I, you know, if I am driving by there with my kids, I can just point out the window and show them that that's where they were born. Uh, for me, I was born in Hawaii on the eastern side of the Big Island, which, needless to say, from where we are, is is really hard to get to. So I have been back once or twice that I remember to see where I was born, but it's not something that I can just drive by and do every day. So um, it's different for them to just actually be able to see that building. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Susan and Rebecca. Our goal is to raise $1.5 million this year through our virtual New Yorkers for New York fundraising campaign so that we can help New Yorkers get back on their feet. Every gift received will be matched one-to-one up to $150,000. Go to www.citizensnyc.org New Yorkers to get full access to our new website and to find out how you can donate. 